All right, we're going to continue on in the gospel according to John. Really quickly, um, just want to kind of hit some of the real quick, uh, not talking points, but some of the quick things that I think are important to know when we start to look into the gospel according to John. We know that this is written by the apostle John, the disciple John. Um, we know that he is also credited for other works in the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. Uh, this is the one whom Jesus, or the one whom he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's who he refers to himself as. And we said the tradition in a lot of uh, historical records will say that John was the youngest of the disciples. Uh, he was the one at the right hand of Christ at the Last Supper, and he was the one there at the crucifixion. What makes John and his gospel account different? And we made this, and, and if, I have to reiterate this again because I think this is super important. This is not John's gospel. We can't say that. We can't say this is John's gospel because it's not his gospel. This is the gospel according to John. He's given an account of the gospel because the gospel does not belong to John. The gospel does not belong to Matthew or Mark or Luke. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to you. The gospel is God's. It is that gospel that is the power of God into salvation. So we made that account and we made that uh, distinction there. As we get ready to set our sights to the last part of verse 1, we have to remember what the point and what the theme and what the purpose of the gospel according to John is. And he tells us this, and we'll read it again, uh, I, I, I think, unless something changes. I want to read this every time we meet. I want to go to John chapter 20, and I want to start in verse 30. Because the gospel according to John is not like the other three gospels. The other three gospels are what we call synoptic gospels. They give a synopsis of the life of Christ in greater detail. John does not start out at the birth in Bethlehem. He does not start out with a genealogy. He does not go into detail about Jesus' baptism. He does not give us parables. He does not give us a lot of the interactions with the people and the miracles that Jesus had performed and the people that he ran into that the other gospels do. He does not go into an account of the transfiguration. He does not go and tell us about his ascension into heaven. John doesn't do that, and that's for a specific reason. Number one, he's under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but John has a different purpose. John is going to take us heavenly. He's going to make us look up, and he's going to tell us that this Christ, this Jesus that's going to come in the flesh, is not just an ordinary person. He's not just a good teacher, not just a good uh, person. He's not just a prophet. His beginning was not in Bethlehem. That's why he doesn't start there, but he's going to tell us that his he was at the creation. He was at the beginning. That this Christ that you see and you read about is God incarnate. He's going to spend the most time of any of the gospel accounts talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us more account of the Last Supper. And we had mentioned today that the I Am statements are found in the gospel according to John. This is a heavily theological book. This is a heavily evangelistic book. And John wants us to know who Jesus is. That's his point. That's his purpose. And, and we mentioned this today that there are 248 times in the New Testament that the word believe is mentioned. 98 of those come in the gospel according to John. He wants you to see who Christ is. And he wants you to believe that he is the Son of God. We find that in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. This is the purpose. It says this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is the purpose of this gospel account. I pray that you see this and we travel through this book together. That, that would be primarily on our mind because if you don't believe in the true Jesus of the Bible, you don't have true salvation. You must believe that He is God. And we talked about that today, that in the beginning was the Word, which is Logos. And we spoke about how the Father speaks. The Father is eternally speaking through His Son, who is the Logos. He's the exact representation of the Father. That's why it says, if you've seen the Father, you've, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to hear the message of the Father. You want to hear the heart of the Father. You want to see the work and the message that the Father is speaking. We look to the Son as He is the eternal Logos and the eternal Word. So we covered today. But tonight we're going to finish this verse and we're going to read verse 1 again. And we're going to dive into the meaning of this into greater detail. Read along with me in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege to come tonight and open up the Word's of life and truth. God, they are breathed out from you. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask that tonight you would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the truth that this verse holds. Lord, there's great depth here. There's great beauty here. There's great joy here. And I pray that you would let us see it tonight so that we could honor you and give you praise that you're worthy of. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, in the beginning was the Word. I went into that, again, that repetition of what we talked about in the first service for a specific reason. John does not start in Bethlehem. John does not start in the genealogy of Christ on earth. The other gospel accounts do, and that's important because we know he's coming out of the lineage of David. We know he's out of the tribe of Judah. We know all those things that are prophesied in the Old Testament have to come to pass. They do come to pass, and that's why we know that the other gospel accounts record those for us so we will know. But John, again, turning us heavenly, taking our, uh, our focus to who God is, not just here in flesh, but where he started. And that's kind of a trick statement because he has no starting point. He is eternal. He has life in himself. And this is what John is going to bring our thoughts to with this start. In the beginning was the Word. Not in Bethlehem. That's not where he started. He's not just a human being. That's why the virgin birth is so important. John says, do not look at Bethlehem as where the Christ that is on this earth started. You've got to go way back. In the beginning was the Word. And I have it here on the board. If you want to see a parallel, what John is basically doing in the first few verses here, he's going all the way back to the start of the Bible. He's working through Genesis 1. 
And we see that, that if you look at in the beginning, in the Greek Septuagint, which would have been the Greek translation that they would have been uh, privileged to, in the beginning in Genesis 1 and in the beginning here are the same words, NRK. John is going back to Genesis 1 and telling us that God is there. Christ is there. There's beautifulness here in this opening statement. You are seeing the opening verse of your Bible come to play in the New Testament to speak of this God who will walk this earth in flesh is God incarnate who is there from all eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. John is going to tell us that He's God. When we read the words in the beginning, we mentioned this today, but we have to remember this. This is not speaking about Christ's beginning. He does not have a beginning. He has life in Himself. There's never a time where God was not. That's what we talked about on Wednesday in the aseity of God. We must remember that. So when He says, in the beginning, this is talking about in the creation. And what's so amazing about that, if we, if we don't think really hard about it, it'll just slip our mind that if the Word is there at the beginning, before all of creation... He's not a part of the created order. So therefore, if he's not created, he's outside of time and space that makes him eternal and immortal. John is going to try to take Christ and exalt him to where he belongs. To all glory. To all honor. In the beginning, the Word was there. In the beginning, Jesus was there. In the beginning, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was at creation because He's not part of creation. He's uncreated. He's the uncreated creator, which makes Him eternal, infinite in God. That is why John starts here. In the beginning was the Word. And we see verses, uh, and we can read some of these, and, and many of these you've heard, but listen to the nature of God, Him being there before all of creation. Psalm 90, which is the oldest psalm in all the Bible, it's a song of Moses, verse 1 through 2 says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or You gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. The Logos was at the beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we read this on Wednesday. Yet for us there is but one God. The Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. All things that have been created have been created by the Logos. He is there at creation. Colossians 1, 15-17 says, He is the image of the invisible God. We spoke on this this morning. The Father is invisible. You can't see the Father, you, but you can see the heart of the Father. You can see the nature of the Father. You can see the love of the Father. The Father is speaking eternally through the eternal Son, the Logos. If you want to see the Father, you look to the Son as the Son is speaking the message of the Father. And what does the Holy Spirit do to that? We mentioned that. That when the Godhead speaks, it is a triune nature to which He speaks. The Father has the message, and it's pushed out by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit listens to what the message is. He does not speak of Himself, but He speaks to what He hears. And what does the Spirit then do? He glorifies the Son. 
He draws the focus to the Son. The Spirit doesn't speak to Himself, but He speaks to the Word. He speaks to the message that is being spoken from the Father, and that message is the Son, the Logos. And the Spirit hears the message, and the Spirit speaks and glorifies the Son, and He he brings all the attention back to the Son, because if you see the Son, guess who you've seen? You've seen the Father. It's the trying nature of the speaking of God eternally through His Son with the Holy Spirit. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, speaking of Christ, and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's because in the beginning was the Word. If He's not there at creation, then He's not before creation. And if He's not before creation, then He is created. If He is created, we have no God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, again, we read this this morning. God, we read this early afternoon, excuse me. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, how has He spoken to us? By His eternal Word, by his, in us, to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Through Him also He made the world. Again, you see the correlation. It is the Word uh, it, it made flesh. It is the eternal Son who is the Word. And now the Father speaks to us through His Son, the Logos. Again, which He mentions, to whom He made all things. That is important because God used His Word to speak the universe into existence, didn't He? When He says, let there be God, used the Word to speak the universe into existence, and Jesus, who is the Word, created the universe. Listen to what Genesis 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, by the way, the Word was there. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of, of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Again, there's triune nature there at creation. The Father is there. We know the Word is there because John tells us that He is, and the New Testament tells us that all things were created by the Son. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You have the triune nature of God in Genesis 1. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God used the Word to create all things. We see this also in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of His mouth all their host. Again, the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Who created all things? The eternal word, the Son. The Son is at creation because He's the creator of all. I found this interesting. Athanasius, he's a 4th century uh, Christian that uh, has some stuff, uh, some famous stuff, and an early Christian in the church, and he gives us imagery, and I thought this was just interesting, because he, he, I won't read it word for word, but he basically talks about how if there's an image, a portrait, and the portrait gets marred, oh, well, heck, we'll just read it. You know what happens when a it's only a few verses, you know what happens when a portrait that has been painted on a panel becomes obliterated through external stains. The artist does not throw away the panel, but the subject of the portrait has to come and set for it again. And then the likeness is redrawn on the same material. Even so was it at the, with the holy, all-holy Son of God. 
He is the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that He might renew mankind made after His image. Now the question arises, how does the Son know what the original image was? If you said, well, what does this image look like? If I see a picture and it's smeared and marred, and someone says, hey, you've got to bring it back to the original likeness. I don't know. I don't know what it was intended to look like. I don't know what the original image looked like. But God the Son came to do what? To bring us back to the likeness of God. How would He know what the image of that was? Because in the beginning was the Logos. He was there to know the original image because He was the one who created that image. It's quite beautiful when you realize that in the beginning was the Word, which speaks to His pre-existence before this earth. He has life in Himself, the uncreated Creator. John wants you to know. He wants me to know. He wants all of His readers to know that this Jesus who will take up on flesh, this Word, was at the beginning. That's his first point he's trying to make here. Not just a man, not just a prophet, not just a regular old Jew, just making wild claims. This Jesus was at the beginning. That's what John's trying to tell us. You see the preexistence here before the world began. And then he goes and he says, and the Word was with God. Now John is going to show us that not only was Jesus present at creation, before creation, but now he will state that the Word was with God. And again, this screams and this speaks to the triune nature of our God. Again, I think this is one of the things that gets overlooked so significantly in our Christian life, is the triune nature of, of God. You're not saved by just one part of the Godhead. You're saved by God, and He's triune in nature. The Father elects and chooses and gives to the Son. The Son goes and dies to those who have been given to Him, and the Spirit regenerates those whom have been given and whom Christ has died for. And then He seals those, and He guides them and leads them all through their Christian life. Your salvation is triune in nature. You must believe in a triune God. You must believe that Jesus is God who came in flesh. If you do not have that, John says you have the spirit of the Antichrist. That's no good. He speaks to us in a triune nature. He saves us in a triune nature. We pray in a triune nature. We pray to the Father. By guidance of the Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. It's triune in nature. This is our God. And now the eternal Son is with God, the Father, and He's with God, the Holy Spirit. We saw that in verse 1 of Genesis. In the beginning was God. God created. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Our God is triune in nature, and the Son, the eternal Son, was with the Father and with the Spirit. There's never been a time where He was not. There's never been a time where the Godhead was not in being. And we mentioned it today, sometimes we get really, uh, it gets difficult for us to explain the Godhead or the trying nature of our God. 
I believe the easiest, best, most effective way to say this is it's one being with three divine persons. They're co-equal, co-eternal. They are all God. One God, three divine persons in the Godhead, but one God. We're monotheists. There's one God. All different roles, all different. But one God. And we see that the Son was with the Father. And yes, where else could we go than John 17? Where else could we go? Again, this is a unique passage of Scripture as set about in the Gospel according to John that no other book in the Bible speaks to of this inter-Trinitarian prayer between the Son and the Father before His arrest and crucifixion. Now, we know in the beginning was the Word, and we also know that the Word, the Son, was with God. And listen to what he says here in John 17, the high priestly prayer, verse 1. He says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. It's a whole other message. We'll keep going. This is eternal life, that you may know that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's the eternal Father in fellowship with the eternal Son, with the Holy Spirit present. Do you hear the cry of the Son to the Father? Father, glorify me to yourself with the same glory that I had with you before the world was. In the beginning was the Word, yes, but before the world was uh, uh, spoken into existence and created, guess what? God eternally existed before then. There was a time where it was just God. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, in perfect union, in perfect being together. And now this eternal Son has came into flesh to fulfill the mission and what he was sent to do. And he knows that it is just moments away. The hour has come for him to die on the cross, to redeem his people, to purchase his church, to cry out, it is finished. He knows that it's just moments away. And he sets his eyes and his attention and his heart towards his father. He says, I remember that glory that I had with you before the world began. What an intimate picture. And the Word was with God. But He doesn't stop there. He goes all the way down into verse 22 of John 17, including verse 26. And He says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world 
may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. I, I can't get past it. Every time I come to this, I have to stop. Did you catch that? That before the world was, there was the Father eternally loving the Son. He's eternally been a Father, which means that the Logos has eternally been a Son. And before the world was, we're going to read that the Father was loving the Son. If anybody ever asks you, well, what was going on before the creation of the world? I don't know all the answers, but I know one thing that was happening, that the Father was loving the Son. From all eternity past, can you even imagine what that love is? The love of the eternal Father to His Son. Before there was earth, before there was stars, before there was anything, the Father was loving His Son. But if He's wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, and He said His love and His affection on you before the world began, then he says that that same love to which he loved the Son eternally is set upon all those who believe. Set upon the sheep. Listen to it again. It says, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Do you remember how we talked today? Do you want to see the heart of the Father? Look at the word He's speaking and the word He's speaking in His Son. Do you want to see how much the Father loves His people? He's speaking and He spoke at the cross. That's what the Father's speaking. That's the love of the Father who would send His own Son whom he loved before the world was. And why would he do that? Because the Father had given those to the Son and said, these are my children. You're my only begotten Son. But I'm going to give the absolute privilege and honor to bring some adopted sons to, to me. And that is why we cry, Abba, Father. Because the love of the Father has never been so vividly and loudly spoken as it was when the eternal word was speaking on the cross. And it is by that act and by that love to which those whom he died that day, the Holy Spirit then would go and regenerate their soul and seal those people with the Holy Spirit of promise. And in that, that Holy Spirit then comes within our soul and in our being, and we cry by the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. Because the eternal God, the eternal Father, loved the Son, and he was speaking his love through his word, the Logos, to which then we could have sonship with the Father and be in union with Him. 
it's truly a remarkable thing that our minds can't sometimes even comprehend. That the same love that you loved me, you've loved them, talking about his people. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Stop again. I don't know if we'll get through this. Father, you've loved your sheep. You've loved your elect with the same love that you loved me from eternity past before the world was. It is being spoken by the Logos on the cross. It is being spoken by the Logos in his perfect sinless life. That is the Father being spoken through the word. And the Spirit leads us back to that message so we can know the Father and the Son. But then he says, Father, not only do I want to have that glory that I had with you before the world was, I want them to be with us. Have you ever felt unwanted in life? Maybe pick last. Maybe someone's inviting you some, everybody else somewhere and you don't know anything about it. And then later you find out that everyone was invited but you. And your heart begins to be saddened. You think, I don't know who really wants to be with me. Maybe my family because they have to. And not even that all the time. But if you're a Christian, if God has brought you from spiritual death to spiritual life, then that means that He's laid His life down for you. And if He's laid His life down for you, the Father has loved you before the world was, and the Son has died for you. And you may not get invited to anybody's house here on this earth very often. And you may feel like no one wants to be where you're at. But the eternal Son of God, just moments before He hangs on a cross, says, Father, those whom you've given me, those whom you've loved like you've loved me, not only, I don't want to stop my prayer there, because here's what I want to pray, that where I am, want them to be there too. Can you stop and put that into words that the eternal God would want you to be with Him? That's just mercy. And that's just grace. And that's just love. Because i got to be honest with you. I don't even want to be around myself half the time. And to have this triune God cry and pray to his Father. It says that those whom you've given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world, right? In the beginning was the word. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known to them. So listen, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. (coughs) 
You see, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had perfect uni- unity and perfect fellowship from all eternity past. One of my uh, probably top sermons I've ever heard was down at the Ligonier Conference. It was by Michael Reeves on the trying nature of God. And he said something that I think is absolutely mind-blowing if you think about it. The trying God did not need company. He did not need humans to make heaven more sociable because he's a triune God. Before the world began, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, in perfect fellowship. So the very fact that he would come and die and call one to himself and allow one person to go to heaven has nothing to do with loneliness, has nothing to do with need, has nothing to do with anything except for his purpose and his pleasure and his goodwill and mercy and grace. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is John's purpose? He wants you to know one thing. In verse 14, he's going to tell us some of the most mind-blowing words that could ever be spoken and heard by a human being when he says, the Word became flesh. John wants you to know who the Word is. He wants your mind to be blown away with who the Word is. He wants you to know that His beginning was not in Bethlehem. His beginning was before the world began. He's eternal, life in Himself. He was with God, but He's also God. He's the creator of all things. This is the Christ that is walking amongst His people, walking on the very planet that He created. You must believe in the right Jesus to have eternal life. What does this speak about? This speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ. We see other religions, including Muslims, right? The Islam faith. What do they say? We believe that Jesus existed. We believe he was a good teacher. We believe he was a good prophet. But they stop to where it really matters. They do not believe he is God. And if you don't have that, then you do not have God. And if you don't have the true God, you do not have true salvation. It comes down to who Jesus Christ is to you. 98 times out of 245 times, John is going to tell you, believe. Believe. I don't know how to say this more simple. So I'll say it simple, and then we'll maybe work through it a little bit. Jesus Christ is God. That's the bottom line. When the Word became flesh, God Himself was walking on this earth to live a perfect life, to lay His life down for the sheep, to speak the message of the Father. You see the Son, you've seen the Father. That's what Philip said. Let us see the Father. Jesus said, I've been with you a long time, Philip. Do you not know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Because I'm the Word of the eternal God. I just listed out a few verses in the gospel according to John that just speaks about his deity. I didn't go elsewhere in the Bible. I just 
mentioned some here in John that speaks about his, his deity. So let's read a few of these here. John 5, verse 16 through 18, it says, For this very reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was working on the Sabbath, and I mean, the Jews believed that only God, only Yahweh, could do any kind of work on the Sabbath. So now Jesus is doing this on the Sabbath, and look what he says. He's healing. He just got through healing an individual. He said, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason the Jews therefore... The Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making him equal with God. The Jews knew what he was saying. He was declaring his deity and they wanted to kill him for it. In John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins unless what? You believe. There's one of the 98. I am he. Ego I me. Do you remember that we did? that the same language that was spoken in Exodus 3.14 when he says, I am, that translated in the Greek is ego I me. And here Jesus on earth is using that same title, I am, that he spoke to Moses in the burning bush and declares his deity. He says, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then I have to pick, put this one in there because not only is, if you ever want to know anything about my wife, John chapter 10. It's her favorite book in all the Bible, or her favorite chapter in all the Bible. But one of her favorite verses is John chapter 8, verse 58. So follow along as you see what's going on here. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50, yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. He's declaring his godship. Before Abraham, are you kidding me? Before Abraham was, I am. I'm the eternal God. And they knew what he was saying, because look what verse 59 says. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why were they trying to throw stones at him? Because he was declaring his godship. John chapter 9, there was a young man who once was blind, but now he sees. You see this miracle. It says, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Again, there's the word believe. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You say, well, where's the deity of Christ there? That Christ allowed worship. He was being worshiped. And there's only one that you can worship, and that is God. Do I dare do it? I gave you John 8. You want, you want John 10 too? Bonus points. <laughs> John chapter 10, verse 27 through 33. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? 
The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Why do you think the Jews over and over and over and over wanted to kill Jesus? Because he was declaring that he was God. Do you know what I want to tell the Jews? He is God. And that same message goes today. John chapter 12, verse 39 through 41. For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. This is the exact quotage and the exact verse uh, we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has seen Jesus. And when does this vision take place? It's Isaiah chapter 6. When he sees Yahweh, he sees God high and lifted up. So if you ask the people, the Jews, and you ask, you ask Jehovah's Witness, and you take them to Isaiah 6, and you say, who is this in Isaiah chapter 6? They'll say, that's Jehovah, that's God. And then you take them to John chapter 12, and you say, well, here's the same language, and Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. And watch them squirm, because it is the deity of Christ. It is, he is God. And then we go into John, these are just John. These are what you have to look forward to in context coming up. John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, he says, From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that ego I'm he. I'm he. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen now on, but that way you know that I am Yahweh. Two more. John chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. This is when they come to arrest Jesus. And this is quite an amazing event. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met with the, there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? I love this. He knew who they were seeking, didn't he? They answered, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, You know what he said to them? Ego, I me. I. Am. He declared his God, his, na his nature, he declared his Godhead, his, his Godship. He was God. He was claiming his deity there. He was claiming the same words that we see in Exodus 3, like we mentioned, of Yahweh. And he said to them, Ego, I me. And listen to what happened. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, Ego I am, uh, Ego I me, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I think this gets overlooked a lot. I don't think this gets spoken a lot of. Think about this. No plan of God will be stopped and thwarted. You've got a group of men coming with lanterns and torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. They ask, he asked, Who are you seeking? 
They say, we're seeking Jesus. He says, ego, I, me. He declares that he is God. And what happens? Every one of them there falls down on their bottom at the declaration of who he is. You know what I would have done? (laughs) If I wasn't a believer, I'd have probably been scared to death. But what God had set in place from all eternity past, they get up and they arrest Jesus. Think about that just for a second. He's just declared he's God. The power of that proclamation is so strong and so weighty that everyone there falls to the ground. And then they get up by the divine plan of God. And they arrest him so that he could lay his life down for the sheep. It was his plan. He told them he's God, and it dropped every one of them. And you know what? That's honestly the response, right? That's what, that's what it is when we truly understand who God is. It floors us, puts us to the ground in total reverence and obedience. And then hopefully we can be like Thomas. You don't hear that very often, do you? How many, I don't know if that's ever been spoken in a church before now that I think about it. Maybe we could be more like Thomas. Maybe you can be with, like Thomas on this. When after all that he'd went through, he was able to say in John chapter 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Can you say that like Thomas? My Lord and my God. He knew who he was at that moment. Let us be able to say that as well. Do you see what's at stake here? John does not start in Bethlehem. He starts at the creation of the world, to which the Word was already present, to which He's not created, to which that He is eternal, to which He has life in Himself. Because planet Earth was visited by the incarnation of God Himself at a specific time, in a specific moment. And why did He do this? Let me read this really quickly. It's not on your sheets, but I just want to read it. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day... Date sent by the Father. Verse 3, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But listen, this eternal God, the one who created this world, at the exact moment that it was decreed, He took on flesh. I don't know... That to me is one of the most mind-blowing things to think about. He took on flesh. And the creator of all stepped into time and space, stepped into his creation. And listen to what it says. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, 
Because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's why he stepped into creation. That's why he came. Not because he needed you and not because he needed me, but because of his own purpose, his own pleasure, his own goodwill, his own mercy, his own grace, he has chosen to rescue a group of unworthy rebel sinners. And that could not be done any other way than him wrapping himself in flesh, living a perfect life, and dying on our behalf. So he could set us free from the curse and restore us back to that image that we talked about earlier. That took God and God alone. John is telling us that when we read these verses, when we go back, and I challenge you, when you start to go through John and you read all the accounts and you read everything, we sometimes just lose sight of what is being said. Stop, and every time you read the gospel according to John, no, that's God. That's God on this earth doing this for me. That's not just a man. That is God himself. He didn't start in Bethlehem. He started the creation. And he wants you to know that the one who would come and take on flesh that we're going to hear about in this whole gospel account, he was the word. He was at the beginning. He was with God because he's triune in nature. And he is God. John has to tell us who he is. He has to set the stage. I'll read this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, speaking about him coming, and we'll get close to wrapping up. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, speaking of Christ, speaking about his deity, him being God. It says, He who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you were God, would that be your idea? If you created all things, would you come into your creation and uh, go through what he went through? You've created everyone there. You've created all that there is. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And not only did he step into his creation and take on flesh, he humbled himself. He became obedient, even to the point of death by one of the most heinous ways to die, death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Sounds to me like the glory 
to which he had with the Father before the world began. In John, I've, I've underlined this, this is vital. John is laboring the point of who Jesus is. God himself in the flesh. Knowing who Jesus is is vital. Without understanding and belief in the true biblical Jesus, one does not have salvation. Now you see why John's account of the gospel is different already. He speaks to the deity and the nature of God. And he says, everything you hear, everything that he is performing, everything that you read in this letter, know that it's God. The Logos. And we go back to why and what the purpose of this is. As we close, we'll read John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you. God, my heart is overwhelmed of who you are And what you've done. That you are eternal. That you stepped into your creation. To save me. The word became flesh. Lord, our hope is in that. Lord, you are God. We believe that. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this book, that you would let us see you high and holy and more amazing than we ever have seen you. Lord, teach us who you are. And Lord, thank you that you've given us the faith to believe. Lord, I just want to say thank you. Just thank you and praise you. And to you alone be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.